Okay, welcome to the big kickoff. It's the Zoom chat. Today is the the twenty fourth of May. It's, so much time is passing us by, and uh, it, it should have been the FA Cup weekend. Dave reminded us there yesterday. It was supposed to be the day of the 139th FA Cup final. Got us thinking what everyone's favourite cup final moment was. I'm going to kick this one off because uh, it wasn't <laughs> easy. There's so many good cup finals and Absolutely. so many good cup final moments to, to remember. But one that always stuck in my mind was, well, I've gone with the superb 1987 FA Cup final between Coventry City and Tottenham Hotspur. Now, I'm not a Coventry City or a Tottenham Hotspur fan. But at that stage, I was 11, and the FA Cup final was a big thing. The coverage started at 9 o'clock in the morning. The game didn't start till 3. You had six hours of all sorts, going from the, the hotel to the, to the pitch, the journey, the helicopters following them around the place. Uh, they used to have loads of different games with ex-players and quizzes, and it was just amazing, the whole build-up to it. But the game itself was... A great game. Spurs had never lost a cup final. They had seven appearances and had never lost a cup final. And they had won it. It was their third final for in seven years. They had won it in 81 and 82. And Coventry were appearing in their first ever final and were totally unfancied. And I think that's what got me. I think that's what it, it kind of got me with the underdog thing. And from then on, the underdog stuck with me. I always wanted someone to, to, to beat the big boys. Yeah, Coventry City. So, Little thing for you, lads, here. Out of the starting 22 players between Coventry <laughs> and Spurs, right, one player was a foreigner, okay? Now, when Ooh. I say one player is a foreigner, there was obviously Irish, English, Scottish, blah, blah, blah. But one player was a foreigner. Who do we think it was? Probably you know, Spurs. I wasn't even born at that stage, so I think ah, I know. That makes it worse. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say me dad screaming down and listen to this. Uh, <laughs> so ashamed. Uh, uh, would it be Naeem? No. They're not far off. It is a sports player. They're not, they're not too far away. Uh, think, think a little bit earlier than that, though. <sighs> sports. Argentinian. Ozzy? Would he have still been down? Ozzy Ardiles, yeah, he was playing oh, well. that game. And there was only one other foreigner in the, uh, uh, on the bench who was, remember Nico Klassen? He was in the, right, on the, the bench Belgium. for sports. That year, Clive Allen was, scored 33 league goals and 49 uh, in all competitions. And I remember, oh. I wasn't a Coventry fan, I was for that day, that he was the man who was going to cause big problems. And uh, he did. He scored after two minutes. Dave Bennett scored after eight minutes to equalise. It says Gary Mabbitt scored, but it was an OG by Brian Klein. Key Houchman <laughs> scored a diving header. Dave, do you remember that diving header? Oh, the diving header, yeah, that was it. Nearly, bro- nearly broke me bed that night trying to recreate it. <laughs> <laughs> and then a Gary Mabbitt OG, which lobbed over the keeper to win it for Coventry. But it was just, it was just a big underdog yeah. story. And uh, yeah, that one really, and because there's five goals in it, you, you can't go wrong. And then Shano, probably to have probably to hammer at home. Then you had Wimbledon the year after beating Liverpool as well. So. That's it. yeah, yeah, an unbelievable buzz. And I think the League Cup was it Oxford? Did Oxford win the League Cup? Ooh, I think in one of those years. Eighty-seven. I know well. Liverpool lost it to Arsenal in eighty-seven. So. I think it would have been either eighty-six or eighty-eight. Or yeah, yeah, it was in around that time, anyhow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave, what's yours? 
Uh, mine is my first one, and it's probably just uh, for a bit of sentimentality, like from 86 when Liverpool bet Everton 3-1. Um, it was kind of the first year really kind of taking it all in and kind of understanding everything. And as you said there, Shano, like, you might get to see your team once or twice a year because I can't even remember if the big match used to be on on a, on a Sunday. So the FA Cup was literally the game you'd see all year. So for it to be a Mersey Derby, potential double, it was a great buzz. But I always remember it was 1-0 at halftime. Gary Lineker scored for Everton to make it 1-0. And because they're young, I was only six and still kind of not really grasping all. I remember distinctly sitting on the stairs kind of as if the whole world had ended. And my dad tried to talk me off the ledge to say, you know, there's another 45 minutes, relax. And I'm like, oh, it's over and we're not going to win. And of course, the second half was a completely different story. And Rushy got two of them and Craig Johnson got the other one. And that was it. And it was the start of the love affair. It just hammered at home even more, you know, yes. because that was the year, the double. And Kenny was the player manager. And that was it then. Like whatever doubts, if, if there ever was any doubts of a Liverpool fan, it was gone after that, after that, uh, that spell of a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, Peter, Peter, what, what have you got? Well, um, my my all time one was the one you mentioned actually. Coventry and Tottenham. I, you see, if you'd have come to me first, I would have taken away your thunder, wouldn't I? But um, <laughs> okay, so therefore, you see, I'm going to have to go for the, my second all time uh, cup final. Uh, that was in 2006, uh, Liverpool and West Ham. Yeah, you can Millennium, talk about that. That's fine. Yeah. At the Millennium Stadium. Uh, 3-3 it finished, a thrilling game, I must admit. And um, it went to extra time and Liverpool, as they normally do, end up uh, winning on penalties. I think it was 3-1 in the end, I think. I'm not not 100% sure, but I think it was 3-1 on penalties. I'm going by by memory now. But, you know, it was one of these games that had absolutely everything. I mean, it was great, to be fair. It wasn't at Wembley, <laughs> you know, obviously going mm. to the Millennium Stadium made a big difference, I think, especially to the fans of even West Ham and Liverpool, because Liverpool have obviously been to a Wembley before, their fans had. Uh, likewise, uh, in, in relation to West Ham, they did as well also. And I, as I say, I just think for entertainment-wise, it was a thrilling, thrilling match. It really was. Uh, you know, it had absolutely everything. Liverpool were favourites beforehand, understandably so. West Ham were the underdogs, and I think most people would have wanted uh, West Ham to win as well. But West Ham, in the end, it came down to that uh, penalty uh, shootout. They missed three of their four penalties, where Liverpool were successful in three of them. So, yeah, I I think that, apart from the one that you said, Roy, obviously, which would have been my number one, so I'm going to plump for the second best, in my opinion. (laughs) Liverpool and West Ham, if you haven't seen it, uh, look at it on YouTube. Or I'm yeah. sure you can catch it on various other sources as well. It was brilliant. Absolutely the superb. Ger- the Gerard final, I suppose. It yes, be? it was. That's yeah. right, Roy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I uh, think he got man of the match. hated every well, minute of it. <laughs> 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 Nathan, team Joe, you weren't born when, when my favourite one was. <laughs> no. uh, I'm going to guess that uh, Manchester City 6, Wofford nil is your favourite. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? My favourite, actually, uh, for a while was... Uh, including Man City in the 2013 final. I love a good yeah, underdog story Wigan. like everybody else. And Wigan Athletic beating uh, the, uh, the mighty Manchester City at the time. Uh, one nil, last minute goal, Ben Watson. Yeah. We enjoyed it. But that's not what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with a purely sentimental pick. This is completely sentimental. Not the best final in the world. It was the 2004 Cup final in Millennium. The Millennium Stadium. Uh, Manchester United beating Millwall 3-0. 
I'm picking this purely because the day before I made me communion, and that was the day I was having I was having a communion a communion party, and next door to where I was having it, there was a bar. So during the party, my granddad snuck me in just so I could sit there and watch the match with him. And uh, I think I was, I was the only United flat fan in the place. Like this is before me League of Ireland days. Like so, I was a staunch United fan. Like real fan is the boys. We absolutely hear him. I don't even know his name. Was him. Anyway, but <laughs> yeah, you think he was, yeah, just, yeah. Just sitting there, I just thought the memory I have when I think of the FA Cup, just sitting there at that in Uganda watching United one pound three nil, brilliant, great day, lemonade was flying everywhere. There you mm-hmm. go, can't, can't <laughs> beat that one, can't beat that one at all. Uh, Peter, Jamie Carragher had a suggestion on how to finish this year's FA Cup if it goes ahead. What was it? Yeah, um, I, I think it's a brilliant suggestion actually. He came up with this this week. Um, he's obviously spent a lot of time researching it and going through all the permutations. And Jamie, uh, I'm proud of you. I think you've come up with a winning format. What he'd like to see, guys, and I thoroughly go along with this personally, is after the Premiership bit has finished, assuming, of course, that we eventually get the Premier League finished. And at the moment, obviously, it's looking as every week goes by, perhaps a little bit more closer, possibly. But hey, everyone seems to have forgotten about the FA Cup. That's been really put on a back burner. I mean, up until recently, nobody had mentioned anything at all. But we've still got to finish this FA Cup. Remember, we're into the quarterfinal stages. Well, Jamie has come up with this wonderful idea of playing seven matches in eight days. Now, yes, it sounds congested. Mm. It really does when you look at it and you think seven, eight days. Hey, that's going to be far too much. But realistically... I think all forms of football that are going to be played eventually behind closed doors are going to have to be squeezed into a a very short time scale. And he's come up with this format. He reckons the two quarterfinals could be played, for instance, one on Friday evening, one on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, go along with that. There's your two quarterfinals. Forget about replays, remember. We don't have those. Forget about extra time. Uh, uh, Go straight into penalties if that is the case. We get the game finished, simple as that. So that's your two quarterfinals done and dusted, Friday and Saturday. Then the uh, semi-finals, you could have one on Tuesday and one on Wednesday. Uh, again, same format. And then the final, you can play on Saturday, as simple as that. And I really go along with Jamie's view. I think personally, I think it will work. It'll be great for the TV companies concerned as well. And in particular, it would be just like, say, for instance, the final week or so leading up to the Euros, uh, the, the World Cup, for instance, you know, it works the same sort of formula there. So why not? I mean, to me, the FA Cup's been dying as a tournament for a very long time. And like I say, due to the fact of everyone literally being more concerned about the Premier League and all the other leagues, uh, come on, let's give the FA Cup some limelight. So, Jamie, I congratulate you, you know, whether or not that will happen, obviously that remains to be seen, but uh, you know, personally, I'd go along with it. I really do think it will work, definitely. It does seem like a, a good idea. Once they have the, the room and the space to fit it into the calendar there somewhere, definitely go ahead with it. Yeah, of course. With two batches of testing now completed on the Premier League players and a positive test being confirmed, there is still an air of extreme caution from some players and managers about return to football this season. Players such as Troy Deeney, Danny Rose and Golo Kante 
have been the most vocal and prepared to miss the rest of the Premier League season if it resumes. Troy Deeney is refusing to return amid fears to the health of his family, especially his son. It should be down to every player to decide if he wants to go back to his job and he, he should put his, his family first. But if Troy Deeney, who is 32 years old, is going to wait until it's com- cleared completely, the question has to be asked, Dave, has Troy Deeney announced his retirement? Uh, probably not. I don't think. I think it's like everything. This is changing every day. I wouldn't get too excited just yet. I know thirty-two. You could maybe say is at the end of his Premier League career potentially, but I don't know. He's 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 a he's still got a great job. He still puts in a great shift and he's still one of their better players. So I wouldn't say it just yet. Like I know it's coming out in the last while. I I don't know the exact facts and figures, but um. Apparently, it's more dangerous to people of black origin or of certain mm. ethnicity, and they're kind of a lot more concerned of that. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's ever changing. Look, whatever about fo- uh, football and the stick it gets, like they are kind of sheep, and all it takes is one guy to say it, and then all of a sudden, four or five start rowing in behind them. To be honest, I think the owners and the league kind of forgot that they really need to kind of get the the players involved as well and really kind of in on the talks and really getting them on board. If they get them in on board, everything else just kind of flows nice and easily and this will be back a lot quicker than we potentially think. Well, if they let this kind of gather momentum, it's going to stall and I'm not saying it'll be gone. Football more than likely is going to come back that I think it's, I think it's fairly safe to say it will. But if they kind of start losing a few more players who would just decide not to, it could, it could get a bit, Farcical with potentially some of the squads, but just very briefly before they kind of open up to everyone else, Matt Letizia. I don't know whether it's a pure wind up, um, but he put it up on Twitter there a, a couple of hours ago and it kind of got a, a few people's back up. But he put out, I'm sure it's pure coincidence, but when the Premier League said they won't release details of who's tested positive, the very next day, two clubs arbitrarily come out and say it was their staff, both clubs coincidentally flirting with relegation. And I was like, oh, geez, I can't believe you just said that. But he uh, put a little cat amongst the pigeons just to get a few tongues wagging, maybe. But uh, it is interesting that, and I don't care, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it is interesting that lads who are down the bottom are testing positive. Yeah. I suppose, I mean, they have come out and said some of the players, like obviously Wofford have announced who the player was. Uh, Burnley announced that Ian Wound, assistant manager, mm. uh, had got it. So, I mean... If if the, if it wasn't them, I'm sure the league would come out and say it wasn't them. So I, I'm not too sure. I think my my point on with the Troy Deeney situation is is that it the coronavirus isn't going to go away. And there's a lot of people saying, you know, get this season over. We play next season. Don't don't be thinking about this season. But this is going to be around for a long, long time. So well, at next some season, stage, if you want to play football, you're gonna have to. You're going to have to play football. Well, yeah, next season technically starts in August, September. So yeah. either way, people are, and we've said it here over the last few weeks, I think people are forgetting that there's another season that needs to be started as well. So yeah. whatever potentially might happen in the next few weeks is realistically going to happen in the next month or two anyway when the new season kicks off. So I suppose that's why it's easy. If he's only thinking about this season, it's easy to say, oh, no, I'm not going to play in this one. But are you going to be ready in three or four months' time when this is still around? So... I do understand what you're saying, but I, I think it's a bit of a short-term opinion. And as it develops, I'm sure he'll probably slowly but surely bring himself back into it. I'd imagine he would. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nathan, Cork City have been struggling financially over the last couple of seasons, but there has been some interest in purchasing the fan-owned Leaside outfit. Who is it from and what are the feelings about it? Um, yeah, it's from um, a guy called Trevor Hemmings, who is, he has a, a major stake in Preston North End. It's only really at the the interest stage now at the moment, lads. He only only started like inquiring and seeing about a deal. Um, he knows Cork well. He's the owner of the uh, Tribalgan Holiday Village out in Cork, and he also owns a stud farm out there. So he knows like the values of Cork and what the club actually means to the community itself. So pretty much the biggest update we've had to recently getting is um, Cork City themselves have surveyed members of uh, of Forza. Four of us, sorry. That's the uh, the group that owns Cork City. Uh, the survey, 365 of their members uh, this week, which is probably about 60% of the whole membership. Uh, with 45% of them are in favour, or they're pretty positive about the takeover, with 40% of them being unsure and still undecided, and 18% of their members being negative completely towards the, uh, the takeover. I think a lot of the, the doubt really comes around that they don't want Cork itself to lose its identity and they don't want it just to become a feeder club to press the North End if this deal goes through because they're looking at players like Alan Brown and Sean Maguire who have recently gone to press the North End obviously have ties to Cork City in the past so I think that's where pretty much a lot of the, um, the negativity around the move uh, comes into play They've been struggling the last year so if the fan base system is all well and good, but if you can't ca- get the cash together, you're you're going to struggle, and they've been struggling bad. You have been struggling bad because we see in the uh, the reports that the just to get the money together for the licensing this season, he had to wave off the sell on clause for Sean McGuire. So that's already yes. that's that's a pretty bad indication. And he also um this uh, Forza crowd have been about attempts by the club to contact local businesses in Cork to see would anybody even entice some businesses to come in as sponsorships uh, for Cork City but mm. they've had no success in that aspect either so but it looks at things like taking this offer if the offer does come in and if like the sale can go ahead like, it really does seem with the only viable option to have a successful future for Cork City going forward yeah yeah and um, um, with the COVID-19 crisis Businesses everywhere are going to be that little bit strapped for cash. So this may be their only option unless they're into a struggle. Uh, you have been writing on the bigkickoff.com, the career of. So you've done a lot of articles yeah. with the career of, and it's, it's, it's players from the League of Ireland, the likes of Jackie Jameson, Torlick O'Connor, Brendan Bradley, Joseph and Doe, Ryan McBride and Liam Buckley. Out of all those players that you've written about so far on the website, who who's made the biggest mark on the league, do you think? Yeah, that's a tough one because we're going through different areas and these people mean so, like different things to different people. So yeah. like you're gonna have people up the north uh, with Finn Harps that idolise Brendan Bradley. Where you're gonna have people uh, Bohemians that Jackie Jensen is probably the the best footballer they've ever seen play for Bohemians. Yeah. So it is a tough one, but do you know what I'm gonna go with? Um, I'm gonna go with like someone that's reached out for that in the clubs. Someone that like you can even say to a casual fan now. And I've noticed on the Joey and Doe bit we done, it was a lot of people that um, 
I've, I haven't seen going to games in probably 10 years or so. That's still common to my niece and Jesus. That Joey and Joe. I remember going down for six months to watch Pats, or three months to watch Bowes play, and he was the one that stood out to me. So I think, uh, and because it was so different with like, the league isn't known for having uh, foreign players coming in and flourishing too much. Like, there's not that many of them we can really pick out off the top. And like, not only did that Ando come over and do that, but he came over and he's probably, well, for me, he was the best player I've, I've seen since going down to the League of Ireland on, on the pitch. Like, we've been, been going to games since 2003, like, and he's just technically the most gifted player I've seen on the pitch. He did. He got, he got unbelievable comments on, on uh, our page and different pages. Um, as you said, from a wide variety of fans. So, yeah, I, I probably agree with you there too. Uh, but yeah, again, we're looking forward to seeing more from, on the bigkickoff.com and seeing the careers of, and of course, hopefully now we get a, a, a big kickoff with the League of Ireland now soon and uh, make a few more stars. Dave, the NBA are eyeing up a return in late July. And while there is no Magic Johnson on show, <laughs> there very well could be a Magic Kingdom. What's the latest? <laughs> I like to tell you, you can't get better than that link now, in fairness. Uh, Yeah, the NBA are in talks to go to Walt Disney World in Florida. So basically, the league is in discussions with its players' union and the Walt Disney Company about restarting its season, which they suspended back in March 11 at the Orlando Base Resort in late July. So basically, the ESPN World World of Sports is a complex that's in the... Walt Disney World uh, in Kiss Me in Florida. And it's a single site for an NBA campus for games, practices, and housing. And ESPN, which is owned by Disney, is a broadcast partner for the NBA. So they'll all be there all together, all living together, all the practice facilities, everything else. So basically, it was opened in 1997. It's a multi-sport complex and is part of, obviously, the Disney World Resort. And it has routinely hosted several basketball events over the years, including college invitationals, some different collegiate uh, tournaments, and then the Junior NBA World Championship. So, yeah, all the teams move in. I live in, in around, around the campus. Plenty of uh, uh, accommodation there. Plenty of practice facilities. A huge complex. I think there's a couple of Major League Baseball teams that have their spring training base there as well. So it's just this monstrosity kind of sports campus for all different uh, sports of different varieties. That's there. I was kind of, I drove past it a million times and it was always busy. So yeah, that's what they're looking at. So keep containment. So there's not too much traveling across America, East and West coast and do it all in the one facility. And potentially then that's another next step is although the season is near the end, there's talk of just going straight into the playoffs and usually there's eight in each conference, but they might extend it to 10 in each purely on the fact that there's a couple who are on the, border who may or may not have gone in but they might bring him in and do a best of like a one-off game or just to give him a, like a, a last lifeline to get into the big major kind of eight eight the eight in the conference playoff so it's a it's it's early talks but there you go the boys could all be in the one spot what could go wrong <laughs> it sounds like it's the it's the right option because yeah. as you as you said it, it's a it's really a, a continent that they're going across rather than exactly their country and and with a hundred thousand deaths nearly, it probably is the logical thing to do. So yeah, now that that could be very interesting. No, absolutely, and uh, yeah, and it could be interesting for a bit of coverage. Like if they were obviously ESPN could have full access there, and of course they're literally twenty four seven they're around, so they could get some interesting little insights into some of them, and it could be some good interest if you're like if you're a big uh, 
NBA, you know, like could be some interesting coverage if the fact that if they were, they're, obviously there'd be restricted media, but if the guys could be kind of hanging around as well. And it's a, in American sport, it's very much access all areas. So it could be a fun couple of weeks. Sky Sports News finally got their hands on Maurizio Pochettino this week <laughs> in a valiant effort to see if he'd be interested in a job outside the top six, hinting at Newcastle, of course. But they also asked him who he felt were the top three Premier League players. So, lads, I'm going to ask you for your top three players, and I need to know why as well that you're top three. Peter, I'm going to go to you in case I steal your thunder again. Off you go. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be a coincidence if that happened. Um, okay, well, I'm going to go two old and one current. How about that? Um, Alan Shearer, to start with, probably wouldn't be no surprise to a lot of people actually Shearer goal scoring machine legend the, you know the man the man was and a fantastic player it has to be said another good thing that I liked about Alan Shearer he was a prolific goal scorer true but he very rarely got injured he had a terrific track record when it came to that department as well and of course he's a as you know a tune legend and he's, he's not doing too bad even today actually off the field as well so I think Alan Shearer would be my number one um, number two, I've gone for Thierry Henry, former Arsenal player. Uh, Arsenal fans adored Thierry, uh, not just for his technique, skills. He had everything. He, he, he loved playing the game. He was a joy to watch. He always had a smile on his face and a, a fantastic player uh, all round, it has to be said. And number three, my current player, by far and away, best player in the Premier League. I say it's season in season out and no it's not a Liverpool player um, Kevin De Bruyne absolute <laughs> sheer class absolute sheer class I mean you know Manchester City have proved time and time again in my opinion they've never been the same without uh, Kevin De Bruyne uh, you know when he was out injured for a while City really struggled you could see there was no flair there was no one really dictating play you know they they looked a lost side the minute De Bruyne comes back in they look an entirely different unit. And he, he's taken to the Premier League so well, I think. You know, he came here as a player that a few people probably doubted he'd really flourish in the Premier League. But match after match, match after match, time after time, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, to me, is absolute class, sheer world-class player, I think, by far and away. And to be honest with you, I think he's going to stay with City and he's going to be there for quite a while yet as well. So that would be my three then. Thierry Henry, Alan Shearer and uh, Kevin De Bruyne. You're all right, Peter. I've gone for three current players, so you are fine there. Nathan? I, I have Alan Shearer. I think everybody probably will have Shearer on the list. Uh, top all-time, top goal scorer in the league. Like he done it, you could do it. He could score from everywhere, couldn't he? Left foot, right foot, inside the box, outside the box, header, anything. He could do it. Uh, as Peter said, he's beloved up in Newcastle. Absolutely adored up there as a god, and just fantastic. Like just some of the goals he scored, some of just the composure and the finishing ability. It's just fantastic. It really was. Like um, second, I'll go with Ryan Giggs. Um, I done an article a good while ago now on the site about the Premier League Hall of Fame and these two lads topped it so I just that's pretty much why I put both of them in here well with Giggs obviously a United legend one club man um, won it all really while he was there but I, I do I admire the way he changed up his game so much you know like when he was younger he was always known for the, like, the, the pace and the dribbling ability 
But as like that little pace started to leave him, he was still had that uh, bit of class about him. He still like he saw the nail had to shift again. So it might be like the pace isn't there anymore. But he got much more technical in a way. I I felt anyway, and it, it just it always was a joy to watch, even as he was getting on an edge. Number three, I went with Dennis Bergkamp actually as number three. <laughs> I just something about a Dutch player. I just think that just technically that probably just the best to watch. And Bergkamp especially, like he didn't even move. He glided over that grass. Some of the goals he scored. I always remember the goal against uh, Newcastle. I don't remember the year, but you know the goal I'm talking about. Where he had his back to goal and he flicked it beyond the defender. He went the ball went one side and he went the other. And he met it on the other end. And just yeah. hit it into the back of the net. Just watching him play, like he was just fantastic. Like, like the ability that man had. And it was it was close. Uh, it was him and Henri, Henri were, um, were battling out for the, for the for the spot on this uh, list. But I went with Beer Company in. Good, good. Uh, Dave, did you go for current or past? Uh, ironically, past in the end, but I tried to, not alternative because they're still kind of top quality, but I tried to not go for your your shares and gifts because I had a funny feeling somebody would, but obviously I'm after overlapping on one of them, so I'll go, I'll go uh, past him quite quick, and that was Bergkamp, just to, um, yeah, he had everything, and he was silky, and yeah, and it wasn't just that it wasn't just that Arsenal. Obviously, the hat trick at Leicester was unreal, where he took it down. And obviously, the goal against Argentina, he was just a great, great player. And obviously, the the famous goal against um, against uh, Newcastle, as he said, great partnership with Wright, and then on to Henri. So he was brilliant. He was a great player to watch. Probably with the Irish connection and just all round, probably the best leader in the in the Premier League history, in my opinion, was Keno. Right game, without a shadow of a doubt, absolute bulldog. You know, never say die. And, uh, best attitude I was when it comes to being on a football pitch you know dragged everyone along with him set a tone and you're either with him or you're not and if you're not you don't survive all that much and he just dragged that team along uh, and he was the kind of he was the glue that kind of brought them all together so anyone who you thought might have been a bit of a flash Harry you know you had to change your attitude or you were gone and you have the likes of your Becks and Ryan Giggs and a few of the others around like their attitude stayed as, as he probably he had a big effect on it because he was he was like a mini Ferguson on the pitch and obviously the famous game against uh, Juventus and Turin, known full well, he was not going to make that final. He still dragged them along while, ironically, I was watching, um, the, there was a bit of a talk show of the 1990 FA, our World Cup semi-final and Gaza got booked and the difference in them and it, it's not a slagging match here, but he was so emotional. He was supposed to take uh, Stuart Pierce's penalty or Chris Waddle's penalty but he was so emotional he couldn't take it well you know Roy Keane would have stepped up and smashed it you know what I mean mm. so that just goes to show you who he is and then lastly uh, probably I said I'd stick with I'd try and fit somebody from Liverpool in but in fairness obviously he was infamous for a couple of seriously bad things which I don't agree with but Suarez pure football wise was phenomenal for, for a little mm. while with Liverpool yeah exactly there was a <laughs> like obviously the, the everything was a mess and Obviously, the bit, the biting with the with Ivanovic, but for about a year, a year and a half, like obviously Arsenal were the team that everyone loved to watch. But for about a year, year and a half under Rodgers, I personally think it was Liverpool for the little spell. We were savage to watch, and of course, he was the epitome of it. He had he had that world world class quality that we were lacking, and when we got somebody like him in, I think it's that's when the owners realised what they have to bring in in order to get to the promised land. Obviously, we didn't do it with him, but I just thought. Yeah, he was a bit special. I think it was obvious, regardless of 
some of the off-field or, or off-field on-field crap that you that came with it. Yeah, I mean three three good players, but all those players top quality players. Pochettino went for current players, De Bruyne, Aguero, mm-hmm. and Firmino as his best three players in the Premier League okay. at the moment. So I decided I'd go for uh, three picks in the Premier League. It kind of kind of grinds my gears when attacking players. <laughs> <laughs> Attacking players are always seem to be the best players in a league. So I've kind of had, I won't say alternative, because I think these are the best three in their position. Now, my first one is Virgil van Dijk. Obviously, it's, it's, it's not something that people don't know already. But because he's so cool, calm, he's got pace, but he reads the game so well. Like, I can't remember him ever. He probably has, but I don't remember him sliding for a last-ditch tackle. He's always on his feet. He's always in control, and he's a talker and he's commanding. And he—he—he's—he—he he's, at the moment he's the best central defender that's there at the moment. But the other thing is he's so important to Liverpool. Without him, they're not challenging for the league. So that's how big a player he is. Even though Salah and Mane and Firmino, they all get pat on the backs and. You know, I say most of the jerseys are, are with their name on it. Virgil van Dijk stands above the rest of them for me. Second one, I'm thinking midfielders, and I'm going for N'Golo Kante. And the reason why is the exact same reason for Virgil van Dijk. You rarely see him slide in. He sniffs out danger before it reaches the back four. And by far, for me, he's the best midfielder in his position. Chelsea would probably not be... a top four team if he wasn't there and the ironic thing is he's not even playing in the role that he's best at who's better than him in the Premier League I just don't know who it is there's a lot of talk about Henderson this year I think Henderson's doing a good job in a good team I think Kante is dragging the team along so for me he's probably one of the best midfielders in the Premier League and then the last one is Matt Doherty now I thought about all the right folds that are playing in the right in the Premier League, and of course the one that stands out is Alexander Arnold. But for me, Matt Doherty is a better player all round, just out of his pure defensive work, his defensive work and his attacking work combined in a team such as Wolves, where Alexander Arnold, yeah, he's got, last year he scored one goal, he had thirteen assists, he had fourteen assists this year, but only the two goals. Where Matt Doherty has four goals, seven assists, and this year four goals, five assists. So he's always up there and he's always back, but he's a lot more solid. Same with Robertson. I thought about him. He's only got one goal in the last two years. He has more assists than Matt Doherty. But then again, it's a lot easier to have an assist with the likes of Firmino, Salah and Mane, who will make something out of nothing. So for me, Matt Doherty is the best rifle in the Premier League. You can debate that if you want. <laughs> I'm sure people will. Sorry, uh, are you finished there? I'm just waking up. Yeah, go on. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I, uh, yeah, what can you say? Kante, unquestionably, no one, I don't think, is there uh, for what he does and what he can do. And he's not just a holder. He, he's a proper midfield player. And he can play and he can be decent in attacking sides. So, yeah, I'd have to 100% agree with that. Van Dijk, I'm not going to say too much because it's just biased. But, yeah, he's solid. Probably the best centre half in there, and Matt Doherty, yeah, sure he's Irish, but regardless, <laughs> that's not the reason. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, no complaints there. No complaints there. 
Great. Peter, have you got any other stories? Yeah, I have actually. Um, the perils of being a television commentator and you're not actually at the event that you are actually commentating on because obviously the Bundesliga's <laughs> returned now, BT Sport doing a really, really good job. Their, their commentators are, and all of them are having to do it all from home, actually, uh, not even from a studio in London. And one of those, Paul Dempsey, who seems to be one of the main guys that, that BT are using at the moment, he, he was based in Ireland. He was doing a game last week. I can't remember what one it was, actually. Um, but he was in the uh, his home in Ireland. His co-commentator uh, was uh, somewhere up north in England. And uh, poor Paul Dempsey was commentating away, apparently, in his living room, doing the best that he could, making a game sound really good anyhow, which wasn't, uh, you know, the, the worst game I've ever seen. And apparently <laughs> he was disturbed by somebody knocking on his door, which how on earth <laughs> they didn't realise that, hey, Paul Dempsey's actually doing a live commentary at the moment in the Bundesliga. They obviously didn't realise and I suppose, to be fair to them, they wouldn't because it was the Tesco driver with <laughs> Paul Dempsey. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true story with Paul Dempsey's weekly shop. <laughs> and apparently this guy, this guy was actually banging away, not once, twice, four times <laughs> to actually get his attention because he didn't realise. And I, I don't know if he had to wait until half time or, or whether there was a break in play where Paul Dempsey had to obviously put the microphone down and rush out <laughs> and say thanks very much. You know, I'm busy at the moment, but thanks for bringing the shop in. Da da da. <laughs> and then he had to go back to his seat. It's a true story. It was Ian Dark, one of the other uh, BT Sport commentators, uh, has actually was telling the media about this. And you know, I thought at the time it was a wind up, but it isn't. It genuinely happened. So there you are, guys. You see, you know, you can sit there. It's going to be a new way of commentating, I think, in the future, actually. Sit there in front of a screen, uh, do your stuff, but please remember to either take the phone off the hook, or if it does ring, uh, literally don't answer it, and please tell people not to bang at the door or ring the bell when you are busy doing a commentary. I mean, thank goodness it was only 90 <laughs> minutes. Can you imagine if it was a, an event that lasted three hours or three hours plus? <laughs> it would be very embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> the times it the times we live in now yeah uh, dave <laughs> yeah now i don't have the full meat on this but you'll understand why in a minute but i seen this headline yesterday and i just couldn't help but uh look into it and and, and check it out but basically meet the university student who wrote his twelve thousand word dissertation <laughs> on rory delap's long throw-ins that's <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> So a university student has completed a 12,000 word dissertation on a topic we can all get behind, Rory Laps long throw-ins. So University of Aberdeen student George Innes took, Twitter, took to Twitter to pose with his uh, Master of Science Applied Statistics dissertation, as many students do after finally submitting. However, a closer look will reveal the title of the study, which is Blissful Ignorance and the Butterfly Effects that, that Place in Chaos Theory. So that all sounds very fancy. And here's the best bit. Sounds simple enough so far, but the description reads, a theoretical study into how the two goals scored by Stoke City straight from Rory Delap's long throws in their 3-2 loss against Everton on the 14th of December 2008 <laughs> directly led to Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley ceasing trading as investment banks on the 21st of September 2008. 
<laughs> so obviously because it will be made public but it's literally unfortunately we're going to have to wait until obviously it gets graded and he said he will put it up for us all to enjoy so there you go basically Roy lap caused the the destroying the, the world yeah basically he destroyed the world's economy there 10 12 years ago so be careful with your long throw-ins <laughs> really Nathan what you got uh, my story takes place in the K-League of South Korea. I'm sure we've all seen this down the round. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, FC Seoul have been handed with a record <laughs> fine of 100 million won, which is, is roughly 74,000 uh, 74, euro for using sex dolls to fill the state seats in the empty stadiums. Globe has come out and said that he didn't know there were sex dolls. He thought he'd just got mannequins and poor FC Seoul merchandise on the mannequins. But the league countered that and said, now, very humiliating, especially to female fans of the league. And it really damages the, league, uh, the league's uh, reputation. Which I can see what they mean because I've never heard anyone talking about the K-League ever until, <laughs> until, uh, until FC Seoul have stuck a lot of sex dolls in the stands. <laughs> and what did they do with the sex dolls? Was it one for everyone in the audience to bring them home? Oh, it's, uh, it's just uh, past the watershed, is it? Because I think that's more of a PG uh, Dean answer that we're going to give. Okay, right, right. I don't even want to. Uh, I actually don't even want to begin to even think about the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I've seen the pictures of it, and uh, they had some cardboard cutouts, but yeah, a few dolls around that's the place. Scenario. Uh, really? they don't, they've told me they don't come cheap so uh, <laughs> they must have plenty of money over in that K-League well, come here, I'll take that as a word for anyway if anyone knows <laughs> uh, we all remember <laughs> Hackensuker <laughs> do, yeah Hackensuker has opened up about his unfortunate journey that former Galatasaray and Turkey legend moved into politics after retiring from football but a falling out with the Turkish president has left them with nothing. Suker, who scored 51 goals and 112 appearances for his country, joined the AKP in 2011, but quit two years later to a reported conflict of opinions. Can we all remember what happened over in Turkey? God, it's like being back in school, hoping someone answers us. <laughs> Do we remember the coup that went on? But yes. There was a coup, the coup over in Turkey, and see, no one is... This is what Hakan Sukar said. Nobody seems to be able to tell me what my role was in this coup that I was supposedly involved in. I've never done anything illegal. I've never been a traitor or a terrorist. Uh, I might be an enemy of this government, but not the state of Turkey. I love my country. So he said, so I moved to the United States, initially running a cafe in California. But strange people kept coming into the bar. Now I drive for Uber and I sell books. That's Hakan Sukar's life <laughs> God. Isn't that unbelievable? <laughs> what a change. What an end to a career. What an end to a career. We're going we're gonna to finish off. If anyone else has a story, throw it in there. If not, we'll finish on that one. I don't know whether the sound will be great in this, Roy, but I just want to tell you what my bedtime routine is going to be tonight, seeing as we're talking about sex dolls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our, my beloved gaffer, Jürgen Klopp, has uh, a little... He reads the story of King Kenny. It's a children's book. Uh, for Liverpool and it's on YouTube at the minute and if you just want to I don't know whether you'll hear this now but this is probably 20 or 30 seconds of a little of, of Mr. Klopp telling us a bedtime story just wait one sec the one man's dream to rule Anthony 
stand the child and I are excited to share the story of King Kenny to the next generation of football players and fans. Hold on. Grab the cup of tea and a moment's peace while I tell you a story about Kenny Dolphin. <laughs> so yeah, there you go, lads. That's my that's my evening. That's how exciting my life is. I'd say Stephen Foy is quaking in his boots. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Right, brilliant. We'll, uh, I, I won't be looking into that one, but uh, it's humorous anyhow. Yeah. I'll let you know how it ends. I love Jurgen. Uh, fair play to him. He's a gas man. Okay, lads, listen, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Dave, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Uh, uh, look out in the bigkickoff.com for Nathan Doyle and Peter Moore, who are doing some great work there. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week, where hopefully, hopefully, the Premier League is that one step closer. Talk to mm-hmm. you next week.